Amen. Well, I want you to look at this picture up on the screen here. It's the very first picture after our title. Go ahead. You can see that, if you can see that on the screens up here, it gets a little sharper. This is a little bit of an idea of the fruit stands that our family ran back when I was young and through all my growing up years. Um, <clears throat> it gives you a flavor. In fact, it's from the same auction that we started in in Northern California at Roseville, which was the key auction that we were at. My father was an auctioneer. So he auctioned off different things, and he worked at Blue Diamond, and my mother ran our produce business. And uh, I would say, though, because my sisters were kind of artistic, and my mom was a pretty big personality, um, our stands were a little more grand than these stands. And the, the fruit and vegetable assortments were a little more decorative than these stands, but you get an idea. And we did this four to five days a week, from early in the morning till later, year-round. And we had to work in this family business. The only time we got off is when we went to school or we had sports. So that's why I played all the sports there were. So, <clears throat> but as you look at this, and I, well, let's look at the next slide. You get an idea of how crowded it would be. There are people like that, just wall-to-wall -wall folks, assortment of people, the salt of the earth, and then some that weren't the salt of the earth, right? But you had all types of people. But I, I'm here to tell you something that um, <clears throat> it was a great experience for me growing up. I worked the stand, I learned to count money, I learned addition and subtraction quick at a very early age. And all of us who worked the different sections of our stand, we all had an apron that we wore and it had a different assortment of cash in it, from ones to fives to tens to change and all that kind of stuff. And then there was a central register. And that central register is where we could access and come if somebody handed us a 50 or a 100. We'd have to check it or food stamps or whatever. We could go back to the register and make change. And my mother was using the one that stayed close to the register. She watched the till. Or if she wasn't watching it, she kept a close eye on it and the transactions that happened there. Because believe it or not, you have people who work for you who steal. Can you, can you believe that? You might even have family members who steal. It's easy when you got an apron on to slip a, into a pocket or vice versa. Um, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit as I go on. Whenever a worker left the stand, we'd go to the restroom, left for lunch, we'd have to bring our apron to the register. It'd get counted out <clears throat> and then we could go. No one could leave the stand with their cash in their apron. That was a no-no, right? Wouldn't be a good idea to do that. Mm -mm. Yet my brother and I, we got a little too familiar since it was a family business. Because, hey, what's yours, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. Come on, we're family, right? And so we got a little bit loose with it. In fact, we got into the habit of slipping a buck or two into our pockets when we would take off to go on a break to get, you know, go to the restroom. We want to get a Coke or a snack. Uh, as we headed out. And that might happen a couple times in a day outside of lunch. And so we would always do that and we'd grab something while we were gone. I can still remember the time my mother, I can remember when God spoke to me first, and I can remember when my mother sat my brother and I down. Because she caught on to our little habit. And she sat us down because she was great. You saw on the first slide that mother with her arm around her son saying, we got to talk here. 
This is a family talk. That was kind of like what my mother did. She got close to us, and she had a little talk with us. And she said, hey, you need to know something, sons. Your apron and this cash register is not your personal piggy bank. It's not. It's not at all. You're paid a wage to work for us. This is our family business. And any other money you might need, you need to come to dad or myself and ask us for that money. Because even though this is a family business, dad and I, we own the business and we own all the assets of this business. So when you, even a family employee, <clears throat> when you take even a buck or two that's not given to you or not allowed to you, you know what it is? Sons, it's stealing. It's dishonoring. And it breaks the trust we have in our relationship. And I need to be able to trust you. We're family. Do you understand that? Well, you know what? <laughs> of course, we understood that. We did. We knew that taking that buck or two was not right. But shoot, we just figured, you know, we didn't think it really mattered that much. Who's going to miss a buck or two, right? Come on, who's going to miss that? But our mom helped us to see that, listen, if you take a buck or two every day that you work, after four or five days, that adds up to what? Ten or twenty bucks. At the time, that was a lot of money. We were making maybe 20 to 25 bucks a day for our labor back then. I know we were getting ripped off, weren't we? But that's what we made, and she helped us to see that. And you know, she helped us to understand that. Mom had a convincing way of explaining things, and we got the point. We amended our, our ways. In fact, I, to be honest with you, we probably had to have that conversation again because uh, we, were, we were growing up kids, so I'm almost sure we had that more than once. Let me ask you something. How do you have a conversation with a loved one who's been habitually taking money that is not theirs, and they're using it as if it was their own? How do you have that conversation? Have you ever had that in your family? Have you ever experienced that within your family system? whether it might be a spouse, or a son, or a daughter, or a grandparent, or whatever the case may be, a grandkid. You know, it's one thing to have a, a conversation with a young child who's made a mistake, and you say, hey, let's address this, but how do you have a conversation with an adult family member who, who should know better, but they're indifferent to the theft that they've been exercising and they're entrusting of the promise that you've made to them to provide generously for them. How do you have that conversation? That's a whole nother thing, isn't it? You know, that was God's dilemma with his people in the Old Testament, and it's still an issue with his people today. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, God had to have a family talk, and he did with his people through the prophet Malachi. And in that book, he addresses different disputes that he has for, with them during that time. And he had to send a prophet because they're not paying attention and they become insensitive to what's going on. And so he sends his prophet. And one of the disputes that the prophet raises up that God sends through him, it's eerily like the conversation my mom had with my brother and I. It's almost just like it. It's about who we are 
It's about who owns what. It's about how we honor each other with our money, the money that's at our disposal, and the gifts that are at our disposal, our opportunities that are at our disposal. So I want you to read, I want you to read with me Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, and I want you to see how directly God spoke to his children. Now, and remember, they're still his children. He loves them. This is what he said. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting being in, in, in relationship with the most powerful being in the world. Right? It says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we, are, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal, God asks, rob God? Yet you rob me. Wow. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God responds, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Do you realize that? Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. They were struggling as a nation. They didn't have money at the time. They were in a famine and in a drought. They were in trouble. And he goes on. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Then he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That would be the temple. There was a storehouse in the temple. Bring it. That there may be food in my house. And then God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. I've given you a promise. I've told you to do this. Now test me to find out whether I am worthy and faithful. And this is what he said. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And he says, he uses that title of himself three times. I am the Lord Almighty. I can keep my promise. Wow! That was a little harsher in some ways than the way, the way my mother approached us, but at the same time, it was just as real and just as honest. <clears throat> I want you to know something here. One thing we have to make completely clear on the onset of this discussion of tithing and giving is no matter, and I think it's great that we're having this discussion since we had such a big tithe last week, which I think is so wild. I think that's so good. But this is something I want to say. No matter how your circumstances this morning or in your life right now have you feeling, no matter how, life, how our life might get messed up, we have to be confident of one thing as God's children. He deeply and passionately loves you and me. Somebody say amen to that. He does. He does no matter what. If you doubt that God loves you, all you have to do is what? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. He gave his one and only son while we were yet sinners. He was that generous and gracious to us. So that should tell us that no matter where we're at, God loves us. 
He's there for us. He wants the best for us. We can trust him. He loves us to the moon and back and then some. He loves us to the cross and back, to the grave and back. God the Father gave his own son to save us from sin, to be the payment for our debt. God has not forgotten you. You are too valuable to him. He hasn't. Even how much our mother loved us, and no matter how we behaved or not, God loves you and me even more. I'm here to tell you, I had a brother who was a hell's angel. Did a lot of things that wasn't nice. And yet my mother's love for him never changed. Say amen? Amen. We made mistakes. My sisters made mistakes. Time and time again, did that ever change my mother's love for them? Or my father's love for them? No. They still loved them. Did their actions matter? Somebody say yes. Were they going to reap the consequences of those actions? Somebody say yes. Because that's the reality. But the love never changed. The love never changed. And God loves us even more than our parents loved us. Man. So this was true in Malachi's day. It's true today. While God's love does not change, guess what, though? Our love as his people can sometimes change for God. We can sometimes change in our love for him. I want to talk about some things that are brought up in this, this scripture. <clears throat> How are these folks robbing God? Is God saying, hey, you're robbing me? How are they robbing? They were robbing him by not giving tithes and offerings. So if we bring everybody up to speed real quick, if you haven't been in the church much or you don't know what a tithe or offering is, here's what a tithe is, and we do have a slide up here. It simply means a tenth. It's a tenth of all your income. That's a tithe. It's not 5%, it's not 7%, it's not 8%, it's not 9%, it's 10%. Let's keep it simple. It's 10%. That's a tithe. An offering, what's that? <clears throat> well, that's different. It's also called a contribution. Contribution or offerings are special gifts, and they're to meet special needs. Or they're to go over and above a tithe. <clears throat> a tithe is the place that God's people were to start <clears throat> in their giving. It's the floor. And then they were to grow in the grace of giving. And they were to give more. Under the Mosaic Covenant, in fact, um, God's people paid tithe, right? And we think that sometimes that tithe was a tax. No, that wasn't a tax. There were other forms of giving or taxes that kept the government supported in the king. This tithe was for worship. That's what it was for. It was intended as an act of worship. It's intended as an act of worship. It still is. It still is. You or I don't give because we're trying to give dues to an organization because we're going to get something from it. We don't give when the church does everything we want it to do. No, we give to God because it's God's tent. It's, it's an act of worship. It's an actual act of saying, I trust you. I believe in you. I follow you. It's an act of worship. Wow. So you need to know something, too. Under even the Mosaic law, they gave a tenth of all their crops, right, and all their income. But that wasn't the only <clears throat> tithe they had. 
they were also give other things. There were other tithes. There were at least two other tithes that they gave. And they gave a tithe for special days under special feasts. And even one of these tithes that they would give, they would give a special one every three years. And one of those tithes was kept back to help uh, the immigrants and the fatherless and the widows and children. It was for benevolence. And so, in fact, one person said that under Old Testament times, the people of God actually gave not just 10%, but about 27% of their income. 27%. You don't often hear that, do you? That almost seems excessive, doesn't it? In our modern age and in our culture of consumerism, our culture where dollar is king, See, and I'm confronting that today in our culture. It's backwards in our culture than it is in God's kingdom. So however, it's important that tithing was not a form of taxing. Tithing wasn't just limited to 10%, but it was a form of worshiping. And it was about worship. In fact, it predates Moses because Abraham gave a tithe to what? The priest of Melchizedek. And he gave that before there ever was a law. He gave it as an act of worship unto God. So tithing is worship. But there's also something else that goes along with that point, and it kind of follows into the second point. Who really owns all that you have? Well, let's talk about robbing God is a different way of thinking about something, and this is what we're thinking about, withholding giving. When you and I withhold giving, God says we're robbing him when we withhold. When we give to God, we typically think that we're giving our money to God. But in light of the truth, <coughs> are we giving our money to God? Isn't, there, isn't the fact of the matter in James 1, 16 through 17, doesn't it say this? Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything comes from him. So if you sought the Lord for a job, and you said, God, I need a job, and the Lord gives you a job at USD 259, don't gripe about it, right? <laughs> or he gives you a job at Spirit Aerosystems, right? Or he gives you a job at Starbucks, and you're making good money for making coffee, man. That's awesome. And they're perks, because they charge a lot for those things. Who gave you the job? Well, God gave you the job. God gave you the job. What if you have abilities and wisdom? Who gave you the gifts you have? Who gave you the abilities you have? Who gave you the wisdom you, you have? Well, you were born with it. If God's your creator, he gave it to you. He gave it to me. He gave us those things. Therefore, all the money that I make, because God has given me breath, he's given me gifts, he's given me opportunity, he's given me blessing, all of that money is God's money. Somebody say amen to that? You follow me? We're stewards of what we've been given. Because what do we have that was not first given to us? And now we've done something with it, right? Either good or bad. So God gave it to us. Therefore, keeping all of his money 
and not giving him a portion of it, what is that? It's stealing. It's stealing. It's robbing him. It's not worshiping him. It's dishonoring him. It's stealing. I know that sounds rough, doesn't it? But it's the truth. And, and it's important for us to grow up into the truth. To not think about things in childish ways. We're not putting dimes and pennies into a loaf in Sunday school. See, that was a way to start understanding about giving. But we've got to graduate on and understand what's really true. Because we know that that farmer who's out there, he realizes. He don't have no crop if God doesn't bless him <laughs> with rain and help him. I mean, we got it pretty much down to a science now, you know. And we know how to make things work, but we still need God to provide rain if we want to get that crop. So if the Lord says 90% of your crop, 90% of your income, go ahead. You can keep it and do as you will. Just honor me with 10%. That's not that big of a deal, is it? That's not too large of a portion, is it? No, because he's allowed us to keep 90% of his money and do really what we want. So, tithing is worship. If you withhold and don't tithe, you're robbing God. I'm not stretching that, am I? That's what that passage is saying. And we have to come to grips with that, just like we had to with our mother. We had to come to grips with that. Let's keep going, and, and here's the, the hard part of it, because even makes it kind of more powerful. The result of people giving, not giving their tithes and offerings to God, guess what happens to you and me? We, by default, come under a curse because we're not giving. Blessings are held back. Instead of life going well, it will go poorly. Why? Because the Bible says, it says it even in Galatians, do not be foolish, but understand this, a person reaps what they sow. You reap what you sow. If you steal from God instead of give to God, you're not going to be under his blessing. Right? Just like my brother, he was loved tremendously, but he wasn't under our parents' blessing because of the choices he made. And we couldn't get him to not make those choices. Even though the other choices were so much better for him. He just was bent on not receiving it. But it didn't change our love. We know that one reason God's people don't give their tithes and their offerings to God during the time of Malachi is because they were experiencing financial hardship, right? They felt they couldn't afford to give because times were tough. I've heard many people say that, man, I just don't have any money left over. I can't give. And how can you expect me to give if I'm on food stamps? Or how can you expect me to give if um, I'm a single parent? You know, they felt they just couldn't afford it. And people feel that today. They figured that they're going to give later when times are better. Later when they have excess cash. Does anybody ever have excess cash? <laughs> I saw Nancy over here. Nancy, you got some years of wisdom. You ever have any excess cash, really? No. There might be a few of us that are super wealthy, you know, but most of us, we don't really have excess cash, right? 
And so they thought they'd wait until they had excess cash. But you know what? It wasn't going to happen. And you know what God said? He says, no, it doesn't work that way. It's because you're not giving to me that you don't have enough money. Do you hear me say that? God is saying it's because you're not giving to me that you don't have enough money. I won't bless you with more when you're unfaithful with little. You need to be faithful. I am faithful to my word and to my promise. Faithful, you've got to be faithful with what I've already given you. I've been where you're at. I've heard the Lord say it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Be faithful to me. And we've been in debt. We've had bills up to, you know what, we didn't know how we were going to pay for them, but we had to trust and move forward, but we continued to give. Because we were under God's lordship, not man's. And you know what God did? He, he kept his promise. It got worse, and then it got much better. Because God will keep his promise to us when we're faithful to him. So, they told God to give them more money so that they could be faithful, but God said, no, I'm not going to give you more because you're not faithful. You're not faithful. You get that? And so you've got to choose first to be faithful and to trust me. And then the blessings will come. God promised throughout the Old Testament that when his people didn't honor him, they wouldn't experience his blessing. I want you to look at what Haggai the prophet said in chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He said this to his people, You have sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. He's having a conversation like Mom had with us. I'm telling you, I'm faithful. Consider your ways. You're praying and asking me for blessing while you're robbing me. Does that make sense? Come on, people, tell me. Just laugh. Isn't it comical? We're robbing God, and then we're asking him to bless us and to keep us. And man, Lord, I'm sold out for you. And man, Lord, I really want your way. But you're stealing me blind. And won't trust me. It's crazy, isn't it? Why didn't these people ever get ahead in life? Because when you don't give to God, you find yourself not keeping your money. It just slips away. Unexpected repairs, bills, insurance deductibles, it goes on and on. You just don't know where it goes. But it goes somewhere. It goes somewhere because you don't have God's favor or blessing so you end up losing money left and right, hand over fist, everywhere else. Now, I'm going to stop here and tell you. I'm not suggesting the health and wealth gospel here. This is where they like to go and like the land. They like to say that uh, when we don't honor God with our finances, we're not just robbing him, we're robbing ourselves, right? And then they move and take the next step and say, man, we really, we really need to bring... We really need to test God in this. And, and they'll say things like, if you give God 10 bucks, he'll give you 100. If you give God 100, he'll give you 1,000. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? And so they'll tell you, give so that it's given back to you. Blessing 
over blessing. Just get it. But what they tend to do is they focus us on not giving to worship, but giving to God out of greed. Giving to get. And we are not called to give to get. We're called to trust. We're in a love relationship. We're not in a using and manipulating relationship. So that doctrine has never been right. You can't expect it that way. It's not going to work that way. You can't expect to just put that money, and now you're going to get everything you No, because sometimes the cupboards will be bare, and you'll have to trust, and you've got to keep giving. But God will bless you, and he will take care of you. In fact, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this. Normally, God doesn't say test me in things. But he told his people to test him. He told them, step out and test me in this. You have stories about how God's worked miraculously in the lives of your forefathers. Now you can experience this for yourselves. Simply give your tithes and offerings that I command for my house, and I will bless you. I'm not asking you to give craziness or extraordinary gifts, but ordinary gifts. Give as I've commanded you to give. And he said he would literally open the windows of heaven and pour down blessings upon you and me that are more than we could handle. It's true. If you put him first in your financial world, if you put him first in your budget, he'll take care of you. He will. He'll give you more than you need. If you do it in faith and do it in trust, don't do it to manipulate, don't do it to get, won't work. God's not a stooge. He knows what you're doing. It's got to be in worship and in trust. Man, he's promised also, didn't he, in our scripture, he would rebuke the devourer. That's most likely locusts during their time because they were all farmers. But he'll rebuke these things that suck our money away from us. He says he'll supernaturally protect our fields and our crops. He'll protect our families and our homes. He'll do that. And he said, the reason I'm not doing that now is because you're not giving to me. You're not putting me first in your budget. You're, not, you're, you're stealing from me. And so I cannot bless you. But if you return to me in faith and obedience, my promises will provide for you. I am the Lord Almighty. He says it three times in this short passage. When God says something three times, he's trying to tell you, I have the guns to get it done. I love the disciples that look to Jesus always about needs and stuff. And when you watch The Chosen, it's comical. When Peter's like going, all right, Jesus, I don't want you taking off without us because you know it's not safe. You know, there are a lot of rough people out there and you could get in trouble. And Jesus sent and goes, <laughs> like, Peter, you know, oh, that's cute. Do you know who you're talking to? Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> that I have to worry about a few people with knives or spears. You know, that's how God feels, and that's what he's trying to say here when it comes to giving. He wants to bless us. He wants to take care of us. Amen. Amen. So this principle is we are to give to worship God from our wealth, and giving is worship but withholding is robbery. Man, 
When we, when we choose to, to worship God with our wealth, we enjoy his favor, and God honors us. You know, where our money goes, so go our hearts, don't they? Where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. That's why God wants you to give and to be faithful in that, so he can sanctify the other 90. Because money is the only other thing in Scripture that's talked about as a God. It wants to be God. It wants to be Lord. In fact, you've heard Pastor Grant talk about this, that Luke, in his gospel, talks about money more than he does almost any other thing. You know, the Scripture talks a lot about it. And why do they talk about it? Because it fights for lordship in our lives. We tend to get it wrong. We tend to get it wrong. God honors those who honor him. And when we put our trust in him, and when we give to the offering box, it matters. It's going to directly impact our lives. Whether we give or we don't give, it will directly impact our lives. It's not because God needs our money. The reason is because God wants our hearts. And he knows that the Lord of money will draw us away from him and his blessing. And he doesn't want us to miss it. Where our money goes, our hearts go. <coughs> so we're not just robbing God, we're robbing ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. As I conclude this morning. And, and it's amazing that I'm getting through this message this quick, isn't it? Because I have a lot of stories. A lot of experience with this stuff. How many Christians tithe? Somebody want to take a guess? How many Christians tithe? Huh? You know, you're not that far off, Dave. The people who do research, even as close as 22 and 23, say 5%. That ought to sting a little bit, but not just sting, it causes, causes me to want to go on my knees and, and, and weep. And the reason I weep, not because I'm mad at anybody, because we're not, we're not worshiping the Lord Almighty. We've deluded ourselves. And how can that be? How can that be? Because God wants to love us. He wants to provide. He wants to give to us. But in the modern church, we think it doesn't matter. We'll say things like, well, it was done away, the tithe was, with the old covenant. You know? Well, when did Jesus ever say that? In fact, when we get into the New Testament, you're going to find out it ramps way up. We're not just supposed to give 10% of our income. In fact, the measure now is generous. I don't know about you, but generous is way beyond 10%. And we're to grow in the grace of giving, Paul says. And we're to give it all. So it, it just, this trust in the miraculous movement of God, we're to experience that more and more, and it all centers around how we give or don't give. Which is amazing. So, it means that there are a number of us who don't know who God really is. And we don't know who we really are. 
And we don't know how he wants to work in our lives and the blessings he wants to bestow upon us. And we think it doesn't matter to, to rob him. I know you don't feel that way. I know you would never want to intentionally do that. Who would? But that's what we're doing. Those who are tithing, let alone growing in the grace of giving toward generosity, I'm here to tell you, God wants to put his loving arm around you this morning. He wants to look you in the eye. He wants to say, son and daughter, it's time we had a talk. It's time for you to trust me. It's time for you to follow and be blessed by me. I want to give you so much, but you're not walking in my ways. And therefore, you're being robbed. You're letting the evil one have his way in you. You're letting the world bring you down. I'm not promising that you'll never suffer. I'm not promising that you'll never experience loss. Because my son, your older brother, he experienced a lot of pain from suffering and loss. And for your sake, he became poor. He knows things about giving and about generosity that you just hit the tip of the iceberg. He knows things about blessing and, and the power of the kingdom that you've just hit the tip of the iceberg. I want you to experience that and walk in it, child. And he'll keep his arm there. Trust me. Turn back to me. Turn back to me by bringing the full tithe into the storehouse by faith. Because I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who you are. I'm here to tell you that the surest way to, to, to safeguard against the sin of robbing God is to trust the Lord's unlimited and limitless love and abandon yourself in wholehearted devotion to him. That is the only way to safeguard yourself from that. And today, some of us may need to repent. We may need to say, hey, I don't know if that statistic holds in our church or not because you know what, as your pastor... I have never known what people give. I don't have a clue what you give. I know what I give. That's it. And I barely know that sometimes. But I do. I have that idea. But I don't know how you... Do you know why? Because I'm not, it's not going to affect how I love you and serve you. It won't. But you know. And God knows. And, and so that statistic may not hold completely true in our church. We have a blessed church, a neat a group of folks that have found the grace of giving is a wonderful thing. But I suspect there are many others who haven't yet. It's time to follow the Lord in worship. It's time to trust him. And, and not just in word, but now in deed. Because you're going to put your money where your mouth is. And guess what? God's going to do the same for you. Let's stand and pray. Amen.